the Lord was walking on the Sea of Galilee. Peter and others were in the boat, and Jesus told them not to be afraid that it was he himself. Peter said, Lord, if it is you, ask me to come to you. And the Lord said, come. And then Peter stepped out of the boat, walked on water. However, if you get to verse 30 of Matthew 14, Peter began to see the winds, the waves, and began to sink. And he cried out to the Lord, Lord, save me. For the past two weeks, we have been discussing, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. From my sin, seeing myself as a sinner. Lord, save me the faith that I must have. This morning, we're going to talk about, Lord, save me, and I need to repent. I'd like for you to think with me for just a moment about a question. I think this is significant as we approach our study. At what stage does the plea, Lord, save me, where does repentance figure into that plea? Well, you can think about, for instance, one has to realize his sense of lostness. I have to look and realize that I am drowning in sin and that there is nothing that I can do to save myself. I have to see myself as I really am. After that, one must look and see Jesus as the Savior. When Peter saw Jesus, and as he heard the Lord say to Peter, take my hand, and Peter reaches up and grabs a hold of the Lord, and the Lord looks at him and says, why did you doubt? Where in that is this? You have to trust that Jesus has both the power and the desire to save. One must turn to the Savior with a desire to escape and a change of mind. Brother J.W. McGarvey wrote about repentance. And he said, There's one thing that is most difficult to get man to do, and that is to get him to change his life. However, I believe that if you are in the throes of death and you see yourself as you really are and you see Jesus as who he really is, you know you've got to change. You know you've got to make a difference in your life. This morning, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at repentance explained. Some people have a wrong idea about repentance, what it means and what it involves. We're going to talk about repentance exemplified, examples of it, in the life of real people like Job, like David. And then we're going to talk about repentance encouraged. That's where we get to the point of saying we need to be people who repent. Let's begin our study. Let's talk about repentance explained. If I were to ask you to define repentance, what would you say in your own mind? Go ahead and just think through it. This is what repentance involves. 
Many of us would think repentance involves the covering of sin. However, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 says, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. You see, if I try to cover up my sin, as many have tried to do, I'm not helping myself. I'm not changing my mind. I'm not changing my actions. I'm only trying to cover up what's bad. Really, folks, that's like sweeping dirt under the rug. The dirt is still there. Even though a person doesn't see it, it's still there. But, you know, I'm sure many of you probably said, well, it's being sorry. However, the Bible teaches that you can be sorry and not repent. Let me give you an example. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. But the, Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. I understand from Paul there's two different kinds of sorrow. There's godly sorrow, that leads to repentance. There's worldly sorrow, that leads to death. A good example of that may be, here's a man who goes out and commits a sin, and he gets caught for it. And he regrets it because he got caught. I know I've used this illustration several times in the past, but I really think it, in my own mind, it it just so well illustrates. I remember one morning getting up, getting ready to go to school, and we had a neighbor who had a real loud, fast car. It was a Hemi Cuda for you uh, guys who want to remember the cars. I heard him start off and going really fast. I heard the screech of tires and sound like something. And the girl who got picked up on the school bus before us was killed. Hit her on the side of the road. Knocked her up into the woods. And, uh, of course, people began to gather by, and he went and got up. The man that hit the little girl got out on the pavement, cried. He was sorry for what he had done. And it wasn't long before he was back in that car, flying down the road all over again. After he had already taken a life. You see, sometimes people have sorrow, but... It doesn't change who they are. They just are sorry for what they've done, for the consequences of their actions. Nor is it just acknowledging sin either. When you go to Matthew, or excuse me, Acts chapter 2, and you read about the people on the day of Pentecost, after Peter had proved that Jesus was both Lord and Christ, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They had acknowledged we're sinners. But it is after that that Peter tells them in verse 38 to repent. Repentance is not just acknowledging sin either. It's not just quitting a sin. You may stop drinking because you go to the doctor and he says, if you don't quit drinking, you're going to die. You're going to get cirrhosis of the liver. And maybe you're already on the way to getting that. You see, all these things are things that the world may consider to be repentance. 
but it is a change of mind followed by a change of will. I no longer think about things the way I used to. Now I think exactly the opposite of it. And I have a change in my desire of what I am going to do. Let me illustrate this to you. Preaching is inseparably connected to repentance. Preaching informs us of God's goodness and our own sinfulness. I can prove this to you through a number of passages of Scripture. For instance, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 13. Jesus said, For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus was trying to get the Pharisees to see they were sinners. You see, preaching is to get men to see the things they are doing are contrary to the will of God, which is sin and change. Jesus told the people on the day that he preached the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 20, I say unto you, except your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll by no means enter into the kingdom of God. You've got to have a righteousness that comes not from the law, not from your own goodwill, but from being obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In order to do that, you've got to see yourself as a sinner. Matthew chapter 12, verse 41. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is saying, I am preaching a message of repentance. And if you understood who it was, you would be repenting. And Romans 2 and verse 4 Paul writes, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? You see your sinfulness, you see the goodness of God, and then you want to change. I can visualize Peter in the water reaching up and saying, I don't want to be in this water anymore. I don't want to be dying anymore. I know Jesus has the power. I'm ready to get out of this water and ready to be in safety again. That's what repentance involves. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some count slackness. But is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I often have wondered why God lets this world continue to live. Why he doesn't just go ahead and bring everything to an end. You look at the way people are acting today. All of the godlessness, godlessness that's going on. You look at all of the wickedness that's being perpetrated by men. And then you say, God, why do you let this world continue? He's being good. He's trying to get us to repent. And change our lives. I'd suggest to you that if you study repentance throughout the New Testament, you're going to find that it, along with the Old Testament, will tie together the idea of repentance and turning. Tonight, the young people will be going to tabs. The theme has been a 180. 
That is, you turn from one direction to the other direction. Let me illustrate. Jeremiah 8 and verse 6. He said, I listened and heard, but they do not speak aright. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his own course as the horses rushed to battle. You see, God is picturing through Jeremiah the people running like a horse in the wrong direction. And he's saying they didn't turn to God, they turned to idols. Ezekiel 14, verse 6. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Repent and turn away from your idols and turn your faces away from all your abominations. Here is Israel, face towards sin. And God says, I need you to repent and turn. Acts 26 and verse 20. Paul before Agrippa said, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God and do works befitting repentance. That's the message that has to be preached. Turn to God and do works befitting that repentance. But repentance is real when it demonstrates itself in action. Someone says, I repented of that. Well, you did? What kind of fruits come from that? Let me illustrate to you. Luke chapter 8. You have John the Baptist preaching. John has been preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There are people coming to John. And they're wanting to know, what do I have to do? And here's the way John responds. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin again to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to one who has none. He who has food, let him do likewise. The tax collectors also came to be baptized. And he said to them, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? And so he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. What is the Lord saying, or John the Baptist saying here, to the people? If you repent and you are baptized, it ought to be showing in your life. There's fruits of it. Jonah 3 verse 10, Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. Now somebody might say, well, I understand that. But what about making things right when I, for instance, have done something wrong and I repent, what do I have to do? 
Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 14. And when you say to the wicked, you shall surely die, if he turns from his sin and does what is lawful and right, now here's how he explains, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has stolen, walks in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of his sins which he has committed shall be remembered against him. For he has done what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. You take a pledge, you give it back. You steal something, you give it back. You see, repentance requires in as much as possible that restitution be made. Now, I think we can understand it from Scripture, but sometimes the best illustrations is when we see it in the lives of real people. You know, I can understand somebody explaining something to me, but when I watch it, when I see it in their lives, then I really begin to understand. Let me give you a a few illustrations. Do you remember Job in the Old Testament? How Job suffered the loss of his family. He suffered the loss of his wealth. He suffered the loss of his health. And when you get to chapter 2, verse 9, and all this Job did not sin nor charge God foolishly. It was only after his three miserable friends, and I'm using a scriptural designation, they're miserable comforters, and one young whippersnapper who came to try to comfort and encourage Job And in contrast, they only made his life more miserable by accusing him that Job began to speak about things he did not know and he did not understand. Now, folks, many times we sin when somebody is put in front of us and they say things and they do things that push us and we respond in the wrong way. And here's Job, and God confronts Job in Job chapter 38, beginning with verse 1, going through verse 4. And Job had to recognize, I said things I didn't know anything about. And here's the way Job describes himself in chapter 42 in verse 6. Therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. What you find is Job saw himself as God saw him and as he really was. I'm a sinner. And I've got to make a change. And I, because of the way I look at myself, I repent in dust and ashes. David is himself a great example. All of us know about the sin that David committed. We know about Nathan's rebuke when he says, You are the man. Many of the uh, the chapters of the book of Psalms are written to reveal David's state of mind, attitude of heart that he had following his repentance. He looked at himself and he would say, I am just a 
a sinner. In fact, he'd use hyperbole to say, I was born in sin, shaping in iniquity. David would want to look at himself and say, I am just such a, a worthless individual. Listen to Psalm 51, beginning with verse 6. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. In the hidden parts you will make me know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness. The bones which you have broken may rejoice. That the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. And here's the key verse. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. God, help me to have a different way of looking at things. A pure way, a righteous way, a holy way. Well, David was a great example. You may remember the Babylonian captivity. Nebuchadnezzar did leave a few of the poorest people of the land there in the land. He also imported people from other nations, and they settled in among the children of Israel. And they did something they were not supposed to do. They intermarried with these people of the land. And when Ezra returned and brought with them God's message, he condemned that. He showed them, you've sinned, you've violated God's law. And you get to Ezra chapter 10. Now while Ezra was praying and while he was confessing and weeping and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him from Israel. For the people wept very bitterly. And Shechaniah said to Israel, We have trespassed against our God and have taken pagan wives from the peoples of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel in spite of this. Folks, stop right there for just a moment and think. We've sinned. We know we've sinned. But there's hope in spite of this. Now therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and those that have been born to them according to the advice of my master and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. What does repentance involve? These people understood it. Repentance involves, in my mind, I've done something wrong, I have an attitude that I've got to change it, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do it according to the law. You come to the New Testament times, and you can see it plainly. On Wednesday evening, we studied Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 39. And I want to bring it back to your attention. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you, to your children, and to all those who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. 
We want to know what we've got to do to fix things. Repent and let every one of you be baptized. There's got to be a change in your life. A little bit later, you see a man who has become a Christian. Simon the sorcerer. In Acts 8, verse 22 through 24, Repent, uh, therefore, of your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart might be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. You see... Sin does come in the lives of people who are already Christians. And we learn from here what one must do. Now let me very quickly talk about repentance encouraged. I've asked that those of you who can to invite your friends, your neighbors, to be present this month while we're speaking on these topics on Sunday morning. And for many people, we want them to understand what it takes to become a Christian. And I put on the screen, if you are an alien sinner, you need to repent. Some people don't understand what the term alien sinner means. Those of us who have been in the church, we've heard those terms, but I think it bears explaining. When Paul wrote the Philippians, he said, For our citizenship is in heaven. The Bible talks about becoming a part of the kingdom. When I go to another country to visit, I am an alien. I don't belong there. When other people of other nations come here, they're aliens. Some are legal, some are illegal. But they're aliens. They, that's not their native country. On the other hand, there's some people, though, who become naturalized citizens. When we talk about an alien sinner, we're talking about a person who's not yet a member of the kingdom of God. They've not yet become a member of the Lord's body, the church. We know that because Acts 2.47 says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So if you are not a child of God, you're an alien sinner, here's what the Bible teaches. Acts 17, verse 30, Truly the times of this ignorance God once overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. doesn't matter what country you live in, what your social status might be, all men everywhere have to repent. That's me and that's you. If you've not yet become a Christian, as these people in Acts 17 verse 30 had not, you need to understand your need to repent of your sins. In Acts 3 and verse 19, Peter said, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Conversion involves, as we've already seen in Acts 2, verse 38, repenting and being baptized. You see, that's the way your sins are going to be blotted out. 
In Luke 5, verse 32, I remind you again, Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Righteous people are already right. Sinners are the ones that need to be forgiven. If you're not a Christian, every sin that you have ever committed is still laid to your charge. It's still recorded. Every lie that you've told, every bad deed that you've done is still on God's roll. And you need to repent, be baptized for the remission of your sins. If you're a Christian and you have sin, you need to repent. When I go to 1 John 1 and verse 8, John said, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Don't try to ignore it. It's there. You've got to deal with it. In 2 Corinthians 12, 21, Paul says, Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I will mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of their uncleanness, fornication, lewdness, which they have practiced. And he goes on to list several other sins. You see, those of us who are Christians, if we've not repented of our sins that we have committed since we last received forgiveness, then we need to do that as well. Let me tie all this together. Repentance can stand between you and salvation. In Luke 13, the Lord dealt with people who came to him and they said, what about these people upon whom the Tower of Siloam fell? What about the people that Pilate mingled with their sacrifices are they worse than any other people? And Jesus said in verses 3 and 5, I tell you, no, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. I don't want to perish. I don't want to perish. But I will tell you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of heaven over just one sinner who repents. Luke 15 and verse 10 says there's that joy there in heaven. Now let me end this with a quotation from Isaiah 66. You know, I, I'm afraid sometimes that our feeble attempts are somehow half-hearted. As if we say, okay, I, I made a mistake, but there's no real true change of heart, change of will. In Isaiah 66 and verse 2, For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one I will look, on him who is of a poor and a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. As we've looked at all those people through the books of the Old and New Testament, who repented, it is those people who have a contrite spirit, willing to change, those people who tremble and respect God's Word. This morning, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we encourage you to do so as we together stand and sing.